Listen, you smell something? Human emotions are materializing in the form of a viscous psychoreactive plasm with explosive supernormal potential. What a discovery, a psychoreactive substance. Do you know what this equipment is used for? Boggle or Super Mario Brothers? We'll have fun! Yeah! They're still doing it. Really quite good work there. My friend, don't be a jerk. We've got no choice. Call the Ghostbusters. Super Jackpot! Welcome to the Extraplasm Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Maritato. And if you're troubled by thoughts of ghosts in the night, or if you experience anxiety over the future of Spook Central, I am your courteous and professional podcast host who's available for about one to two hours a week, uh, rather than 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, but I'm excited to start this new project and to talk about Ghostbusters and Ghostbusting, and to really talk also about Ghostbusters fans and Ghostbusters community. And so if you're a frequent listener of the CrossRip, or yes, have some, and uh, you expected this would be some awful mistake where a person talked by themselves about Ghostbusters for a long period of time, you wouldn't necessarily be wrong, except this is also going to be a show of interviews, guest conversations, and eventually, perhaps, a guest co-host who comes on board. But for now, uh, I am your host, Jim Maritato. If you don't know who I am, I am also Maniac on Instagram, Twitter, and probably another social media platform near you. If you are in a Ghostbusters franchise, or if you are a content producer, and you want to share things with the Ghostbusters community via this podcast, reach out to the podcast by contacting extraplasmpodcast at gmail.com, or you can find Extraplasm on Twitter and Instagram at Extraplasm. Nothing else. Uh, just E-X-T-R-A-P-L-A-S-M. So let me start off by telling you a little bit about who I am and why this podcast came to be. I am a longtime Ghostbusters fan. Uh, I'm also a professor of communication studies, a dropout PhD fellowship uh, study student from a media studies program, but deeply a fan of the movie that I first saw when I was four years old in a drive through and remember it as my most vivid first movie experience. Uh, and so this podcast its intention, its goal, what we're here for, is to be able to do a couple things. Uh, one, to have an opportunity to talk about the different happenings that are going on, or Ghostbusters news, not the website, which thank you very much to Jason uh, from Fitzsimmons from Ghostbusters News for all the great information he provides to the community, but to talk about the headlines in an audio format. I think there are some folks in our fan community who got very used to that, and while I will never try to replicate it because I never could, uh, Shows like the Interdimensional Crossrip were really instrumental, I think, in the podcast fandom over the many years in terms of keeping people involved in what was happening, what was going on, especially for those folks who may have been doing something like popping in a podcast and driving to work. Uh, so part of the goal here is to provide a bit of Ghostbusters information or what I'll call Ghostbusters headlines each week. But the larger component of what I hope this podcast can grow into is an opportunity for this to be a place for the community to talk, for makers to talk, for producers to talk, for folks who are in franchises who are looking to uh, get support on a charity event to come forward and talk, and to engage in interviews and conversations. Um, this is a podcast that may eventually do things like live streaming, but my philosophy is if you're going to do something, you just got to start doing it. And to be real with you all who are start listening to this first episode, I thank you so much, because the first episode of a podcast is one where a podcaster has no idea what they're doing yet. 
They're still trying to figure out if this is going to work or if it's going to be a good idea or if it'll carry forward or last more than four episodes such that it might ever get to its 46th and find its stride uh, or its voice. But I, I'm, the reason I say this is that I want this to be something that is not just, hey, there's one guy talking in a room. And so the goal of this podcast is going to be to bring different folks on from week to week who can provide insights on something that maybe you didn't know about in the Ghostbusters fandom or an uncovered thing that we haven't really talked about or that hasn't really been unpeeled. Today, the first guest on our show is Stephen Shea, uh, who is the owner and chief operator of Abysmal Entertainment, uh, which is a horror company, but he's also a Los Angeles Ghostbuster from the LA Ghostbuster franchise and the writer of Ghostbusters Scare. Now, if you're not sure what Ghostbusters Scare is, it's the app game that was developed in tandem with Ghostbusters Afterlife and that was released for uh, mobile platforms like Android and iOS. And this is an opportunity to sort of talk with someone who's produced media within the Ghostbusters not just fandom, but within the franchise and interacted with Ghost Corps and others. And he's a great example of somebody who we could have on this show and he provided some insight about what it's like to work on a project like that. But I'm also hopeful that we will hear in the future from folks from franchises who are marketing events. If you have a nationwide kind of raffle thing going on, uh, or if you know you're going to be doing a charity event that you're going to be appearing at that is regional, I want folks to feel welcome to reach out to me to set up opportunities to come on the podcast and talk uh, and to perhaps join in on a full episode to do some co-hosting and pass that microphone around a bit so the different people in our community get an opportunity to talk and to get to know one another. And the folks out there get to find out who some of the best people in our community are who are creating and making and changing things. Coming out of Ghostbusters Afterlife, it was sort of interesting to hear uh, Jason Reitman talk about two different communities, two different people or groups of people within the fan community, podcasters who he saw as instrumental as sort of surviving the pandemic and not just podcasters and ghostbusting, but podcasters in general. Uh, and then also the charity groups that he really found finds are very important and are the core of what ghostbusters is about and sort of how our fan community has developed. And so I want this to be a place if you're listening for the first time going, what is this going to be every week? It won't be me just talking on a microphone, hopefully, because it will grow and flourish. But part of the reason I started the show alone is that I wanted to get started. I think that it's really easy to sit back and try to find a way to make everything just right. But it's not how most podcasts work. It's not how they evolve. Most podcasts start as a conversation. And so I'm hoping to have a lot of those conversations with some of you. We're going to talk about Ghostbusters headlines in a moment, but before we get into that, I wanted to say thank you uh, to a few people at the very first episode of Extraplasm. Uh, in particular, I wanted to say thank you to Troy Benjamin and Chris Stewart from the Interdimensional Crossrip. While I would never try to replicate the Crossrip because one, I can't, and two, it's amazing, uh, they have both been incredibly gracious and kind in providing me with some insights about how to do things in terms of podcasting uh, or what to do what to do with it or how, who to engage with it and it's been really nice to sort of talk to two people who I look at as sort of almost being like the Gene Siskel and the Roger Ebert of Ghostbusters podcasting and find that they were so accessible and supportive of this project so uh, to Chris and to Troy thank you so much for all of your insight and your support I also want to say thank you to the Yes Have Some podcast and in particular Craig Goldberg who has taken time to 
actually sit down on Discord with me and engage me in long form chats for weird hours, probably at the night, about this podcast project. And uh, it really means a lot to know that there are not only are there podcasts out there that have covered Ghostbusters before, but they have been so welcoming and so kind uh, to a new project that hopes to pick up not and take their ball and run with it, but to play ball next to them and do things that are similar. Uh, and so thank you uh, to all of you who are listening to this first podcast. It's not necessarily, it's not necessarily easy to pick up a podcast for the first time and give it your attention. And one that you don't know and haven't heard of before is one that is a complete spin of the wheel. So for jumping in here, I want to say thank you. Uh, and lastly, I want to thank uh, Jason Reitman, Ivan Reitman, Ghost Corps. I mean, without the folks who make the content that we love and care about, there would be no reason to have this podcast. Uh, and in particular, one person who I want to make sure I shout out is Eric Reich uh, of Ghost Corps, who has been incredibly kind and in, uh, making sure that when I've reached out to him in the past to say, hey, is there an opportunity to come to this event has been very engaging and whatnot. And so uh, the folks in this community are super, super supportive, especially the folks we're making. And that's what this podcast should sort of grow and hope to be. And I'll put a pin in that sort of what is this all about thing uh, so I don't chew your ear off about it. And we start to talk a little bit about Ghostbusters headlines. Ghostbusters headlines this week. The uh, We're sitting here in the middle of August and we're reaching the point where Halloween stuff is really starting to take off in the stores. And we would sort of expect that Ghostbusters has become intertwined with Halloween more and more over the last few years, I think. I didn't necessarily used to think about Ghostbusters as like a Halloween event, but over the last, I would say, 10 years, we've seen more and more Ghostbusters events pop up like screenings. And clearly, uh, one of the coming signs of a, a Halloween is the appearance of Spirit Halloween stores. And for us as Ghostbusters fans, the reappearance of the Spirit Halloween Proton Pack. If you've been looking for Spirit Halloween Proton Packs, uh, they were out of stock since somewhere around, I think, December or January. This month, they came back in stock on the website and sold out very quickly before they were even in the custom or the catalog database to find them. So they've come in and out of stock since then. If you're looking for one, know that they are out there. If you walk into a Spirit Halloween store, they tend to be stocking them. Although there seems to be two different varieties of Spirit Halloween Proton Pack in the wild right now. One is, an, is marketed as an adult deluxe proton pack that has a grown person on it. The other is in the kids section and appears to be the older model proton pack with the thin ribbon cable, but is being marketed as for kids. So it doesn't have the upgraded straps that the newer one has, and it costs about $10 to $15 less. So you may find that version in Spirit Halloween stores. Online, the only version that we've been seeing is the deluxe version that's marketed for adults. Uh, which I believe has been running around $79.99 or $89.99. Uh, they have been selling out very quickly, but they have been showing up back in stock occasionally, so it's worth checking repeatedly if you are looking. You should also know that virtually every other Spirit Halloween Ghostbusters prop has come back in stock since the beginning of the season at the start of August, uh, with the exception of the Ghost Trap. So if you're one of the folks who missed out on the remote control because you really wanted a talking Bankman remote control and you saw them surging on eBay for like $89, $95 during the pandemic and couldn't fathom why that was happening, uh, that product was sold as a 35th anniversary product. So they may have rebranded it. I'm not sure. But they are back in stock and they are available and they only cost like $24.99. So if you're in a situation where you've been looking for a Ghostbusters prop that Spirit Halloween sold or that Ruby's made prior to their bankruptcy filing, you may find that at Spirit Halloween at this point, if not in a store, then online. And it's worth taking a look. 
In other Ghostbusters acquisitions of merchandise news, for those of you working on the Eagle Moss Ecto-1 buildup over the last few years, uh, if you're not sure what this was, Eagle Moss is a producer of buildup projects that you can subscribe to where they send you a magazine each month. And in that magazine, it also comes with parts so you can build something. So they have a project to build a DeLorean, a Ghostbusters Ecto-1, a USS Enterprise NCC-1701D, a variety of other things. Unfortunately, Eagle Moss sort of turn the lights off and turn the phones off uh, at the end of last month. And it wasn't really clear what was happening. And what has come to light since is that they have filed for administration in the UK. For those of us who are American, that means bankruptcy more or less, uh, which means that they are no longer going to be in business as their current company. They're going to go through liquidation, it seems. And the conversation has been what's going to happen with the two and a half foot long Ecto-1s that many people have spent many, many dollars on uh, that are now incomplete. Some news that's come out of parts uh, parts buildup blog mypartworks.com uh, is that they have been in contact with apparently a buyer uh, for premium collectibles and trading company who are actually the manufacturers of the parts, the vast majority of them for Eagle Moss. Uh, and they've actually spoken with Bernard Perez, who is the founder and owner of PCT, Premium Collectibles and Training Companies. And according to their comments, it sounds as if PCT has actually bought the vast majority of the part work assets and IP from Eagle Moss with the intent to try to finish out those models. However, their current relationship or a current acquisition from Eagle Moss and the legal standing they have only gives them the ability to cover Europe. So whether or not they're going to be able to bring those things to market in the U.S. is still up for debate or for question. Uh, additionally, they have to still engage the licensors, meaning they have to go back to Ghost Core likely, and get permission to market a Ghostbusters product because it likely didn't come with the acquisition of any molds, any 3D CAD designs, etc. that Eagle Moss may have had. So if you're one of the folks out there who's wondering, like, what am I going to do with this giant pile of Ecto-1 parts? Or if you're one of those people who's doing the really shady thing of going out on eBay right now and saying, hey, I know what I'll do. I'll take my three quarters Ecto-1 and sell it and see if I can pass it on to somebody else's problem. Uh, <laughs> don't do that. That's shady. But if you have an Ecto-1 from Eagle Moss right now that you're building up, the hope is out there. It don't, don't lose hope yet. There's potential that that may be a transaction that may save the project, at least to finish it out. I don't think it's likely that if you didn't subscribe to it already that you are going to be able to. I think that may be a question, but that they may try to finish out these projects in order to do the fans um, right to make sure the licensees or the licensors get what they wanted to happen out of it when they started these projects uh, and ultimately to be able to move forward from this point. <clears throat> Beyond merchandise, important piece, uh, one final piece of merchandise before I forget regarding Halloween. I've skipped over this, sorry. First show, my bad. Um, Halloweencostumes.com has announced not just a 15-foot-tall Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, but the largest home use, I guess we'll call it that, <laughs> the, the, the largest amateur use Stay Puft Marshmallow Man to be produced at 25 feet tall. The 15-foot will retail for $299. The 25-foot will retail for $399. Uh, details of these two products are available on Halloweencostumes.com. And you should definitely take a look at these because if nothing else, I mean, if you're a franchise and you are one of those franchises that has for a very long time been envious of seeing people who had a giant Stay Puft that they spent like 
$1,400 to buy from, you know, AliExpress or something or on eBay and have imported from China. The $400 option for a 25 foot tall Stay Puft, like can't be beat. If you're a person who goes to conventions regularly and you get a booth and you're looking for some big piece of eye candy to attract attention, it's 25 feet tall. You can't like there's there's no way to miss it. So um, I would strongly suggest if you're a franchise and you're looking for something to pick up to add to your booth experiences, your displays, etc. Take a look at this thing uh, because it's the biggest one they've ever produced. And for the money, it really is quite reasonable. Uh, I, I can't I can't understate that. When you look at how much like moving animatronics and things go for at Halloween time at Home Depot at this point. $400 for a officially licensed 25 foot tall Stay Puft Marshmallow Man with, you know, electrical circuitry that has been designed rather than hacked together um, is not a bad idea. Uh, that being said, I have already received a very hard no from my partner. So if you buy one, you'll have to come on this podcast to review it. Uh, okay, anyway, uh, so the other piece of Halloween merchandise out there that people are talking about is the LED rotating shadow light that will be available at Lowe's in the U.S., uh, but apparently not online yet. And also uh, from GhostbustersNews.com is reporting that TJ Maxx and Walmart stores in Canada will also carry that product. So um, thank you for that piece of information from Jason Fitzsimmons of Ghostbusters News. So let's talk then not about merchandise but about some headlines about experiences and media. If you're a real Ghostbusters fan, today's a great day because you can go on to Amazon Prime right now and access 10 quote-unquote seasons of The Real Ghostbusters. Now, to be clear, this is not an entirely complete collection of The Real Ghostbusters that matches the Time Life collection from 2009, which remains arguably the most complete version of the series, but it also included all of the 15-minute episodes that were not so hot and all of the Slimer episodes with Ferdinand, or whatever his name was, the dog, that most people recoil from and refer to as vile. Uh, so it, it might be considered an improved collection rather than a complete one. The interesting thing I think about this collection on Amazon is if you look at what its sourcing is, it is neither the Time Life Collection's masters entirely, nor is it the volume one through 10 DVDs that have already been previously released. And the way we can tell that is if we go through episode by episode, you can see that one, all of the episodes have had their title cards restored. So if you're a purist who owns copies of the DVDs that don't have the title cards and the music at the beginning that goes, then you have been like sad about your volume one through 10 DVDs for years since like 2016 when they came out. Those are all restored now including the one for Killer Watt, which was missing on the volume or in the Time Life Collection discs. So arguably, the Amazon Prime version has the most complete set of title cards ever released via home video, if you're looking for that. Uh, but what's also interesting is that there are versions of episodes that are discussed on spookcentral.com, which is a great website to go to to find out this stuff. If you're the kind of person who's into the nitty gritty of like in individual differences and in episodes and which episodes were recast with or redubbed with uh, David Coulier's voice as opposed to uh, Lorenzo Music. Those episodes are all listed on Spook Central. And if you go and compare what's on Spook Central from the two sets to what's on Amazon Prime, 
you'll find that there's a mishmash of stuff there. There's some stuff from Time Life, and there's some stuff from some other sourcing that might have been the volume 1 through 10 discs with the title cards added back. Um, that means that some things like the uh, Victorian skyscraper version of, I think it's the the Bird of Killed Arby, the Ghost of Killed Arby episode, is in there. Uh, so there's a bunch of different little changes. And if you're the kind of person who looks for these differences and is the completest, you might want to really take a look at this collection because it has some of the things in it that have been harder to find, um, believe it or not. So you can't download them and own them, unless you're savvy, I guess. Um, lawbreakers. Uh, anyway, uh, but point being that that collection is out there. It is on demand. If you're an Amazon Prime member, it's free for you to watch. Uh, and it's probably, arguably, why you're seeing also at the same time uh, Entertainment Earth is now carrying the Kenner the Kenner retro series figures from a few years ago from Walmart. And they're selling those and putting them out to distribution with local toy stores at the same time as Amazon is releasing the cartoon. And also at the same time that Ghost Core announced other animated projects. Hmm, that all seems interesting and fun to watch. Hint. Anyway, uh, so in terms of the last piece of news I want to talk about for this week in terms of Ghostbusters headlines, the big, big news this week is that Ghostbusters Spirits Unleashed is now available for pre-order. Uh, for those of you who are video game players or who just love Ghostbusters video games, this is an awesome week. Yesterday, uh, as a recording, as of this recording, the dev stream took place from Ilphonic, who are the producers of Ghostbusters Unleashed, and they revealed an alpha that they have a previous game builds. They have a later game build they're working with now that has more features and cleaned up more cleaned up gameplay. But they showed a relatively flawless experience yesterday of folks running around and playing as two Ghostbusters chasing a ghost throughout a museum stage. And the entire concept, it seems, will be that you can play either as a ghost or as a Ghostbuster. Now, if you're the Ghostbusters, you, as you would expect, your job is to catch the ghost and to end the haunting. But one of the things that they added as a component I thought was so interesting is that they put this psychology element into the game. And as parapsychologists and paranormal investigators, one of the things you can do to control the haunting is to help to assuage and, and sort of make the uh, assuage the people who are freaking out, right? Sort of to help engage them and calm them. And so by helping reduce stress and anxiety for others, you can succeed as a Ghostbuster. I want this to be canon. Someone make this canon. Like someone, this has got to be a thing now, like in the next movie where you earn more money by the number of people whose anxieties and stress you decrease. <laughs> um, but I think it's really interesting because they have introduced concepts like a cart that has all your equipment in it. And I'm like, of course, why wouldn't you have a cart? You've never seen like a person who comes in your house, like an exterminator who just carries everything on their back, but they have a cart. So you have a proton pack still, but there's a cart full of equipment that you can use. Your PKE meter uh, can be used to scan for ghosts, but also to momentarily in a one shot deal that has to recharge, uh, stun them so that you can work to begin the work of zapping, trapping and capping. Um, I just said that wrong. That's I should get fired now. Zapping, capping and trapping. Uh, anyway, the point is that if you're a big Ghostbusters fan and you love shooter games in particular and cooperative gameplay, this is going to be an, a really awesome experience because that's essentially what it is. is a co-op opportunity to bust ghosts. 
But as opposed to just busting an AI ghost, those ghosts can be controlled by other players. So you'll be able to sign in the server and play as the ghost. And this is something I thought was really awesome because at first when I heard about this, I was like, well, what does that mean? Like you're just gonna get spawned as a weaponless thing that they chase around? Like kind of like a dog just gonna chase a rabbit at the racetrack? Like what is that? And instead what they revealed is that each ghost comes out of a rift and they can summon minions as they gain power and their goal is to achieve a 100% haunting of the building such that everybody flees. And what's cool about the rift concept is that the ghost comes out of the rift, but after the ghost comes out of the rift, they can move the rift and they can put the rift inside of objects to hide. So when the ghost does respawn or when other things spawn, they spawn from an object. So this creates the sort of detective work for the co-op team to have to engage. If you haven't seen this stream, it is out on Twitch. If you go to twitch.com slash Ilphonic or twitch.tv, I think they both work. Uh, but go to there, and Ilphonic is I-L-L-F-O-N-I-C. Uh, but check out this stream if you didn't get a chance to see it. Look at coverage of it because it really illustrates a pretty interesting and fun opportunity to bust ghosts, I think. Um, and a, a, some really interesting, fun gameplay. But... I'm interested to see what the single player engagement's gonna be. Like, will there be a real narrative and story or will it have uh, more of a bot-driven experience where you'll be able to sign in and fight against some AI ghosts and have AI companions? Uh, but it is something to take a look at. And if you haven't pre-ordered it yet, you can pre-order the physical copies for PS4 and PS5. Those are, I believe, the collector's editions from Amazon and they're priced out at $69.99. Those are going to come with a Basher Ghost unlocked for you early, a custom PKE, a remote trap vehicle kit, and a rare Ectoplast skin. The digital editions, which are available via the respective console game stores and for the PC via the Epic Game Store, are all going to be coming with Slimer, with a custom Proton Pack, and alternative clothing and skins. So what this sounds like is that you're simply getting early access to these things. It's not like, oh my God, if I don't get the digital edition, I won't be able to play or chase Slimer. Uh, as much as there's early access to particular gameplay content and mechanics based on which version of the game you pre-order. So it won't be something where you can't access the content wholesale, it seems. It seems more like you're gonna get early stuff and then you'll be able to unlock the other content through achievements, etc. And when I think about how that's going to work in multiplayer, that's actually good. It's good for the ecosystem because the game is designed to be cross-platform, which is also amazing. So like you're not going to have to worry about like does do you do you, everybody in your franchise have a PS5? Right? Does every do the people in the franchise, the Ghostbusters franchise like, you know, two states away who you want to play with for a charity event? do they all have the same exact console hardware? No, like if you have a PC, you're gonna be able to play against people on Xbox. If you have a PS5, you're gonna be playing against people on PS4 and Xbox. Like, so it's a shared ecosystem, but because you have these collector's editions and these digital editions, it means that you're going to have opportunities to fight more diverse groups of ghosts at the onset of these first multiplayer matches. You'll have also an a need probably to chase down some of those different players in order to unlock those achievements. That's not clear yet. I'm kind of speculating, but nevertheless, there's going to be chances there to do some Ghostbuster gaming across state and international lines 
and not have to worry about whether or not you have the exact same hardware as somebody else. For those of you who are PC game players, who were promised a multiplayer experience on the previous versions of the Ghostbusters video game and you never got it and you were totally frustrated because the, P the PS people got it, the PlayStation people had it, the Xbox people had it. I am one of you. I feel your pain. And like, this is awesome. We are off to see the wizard. Like, this is a great thing because it means that we're not going to be locked out this time as PC players from interacting with friends, people who are in local franchises and groups, random people who just like Ghostbusters and who really enjoyed the opportunity to cooperatively gameplay. It drives me crazy to this day. I've still never played an online session of that game because I don't own a console to do it with. And the chances are that I'm not going to go run out now and pick up like an Xbox so I can see if that'll work from like a 2009 gameplay. Does it still hold water? Um, I hear that it does, but I'm probably not going to go figure it out. So I would strongly say like, Go take a look at the Epic Game Store if you're a PC gamer and consider pre-ordering because you're going to get those digital pre-order benefits and early access to uh, this stuff. If you're a console gamer, you could take a look and see if those things are in your app store yet. Like for the console, I'm not sure because I don't have a console. You'll have to take a look. And if you're buying the collector's version, which will be you know a physical disc, so you won't have to worry about necessarily the game disappearing from a digital store. Uh, know that that's something you could pick up from Amazon for $69.99 for either PS4, PS5, or Xbox. So with our Ghostbusters headlines covered, let's move on to talking with our guest today, who was, in fact, the writer of a different Ghostbusters video game, Ghostbusters Scare. We'll talk with Stephen Shea in a moment about how he was involved in the writing of Ghostbusters Scare, as well as an animated product, and how he came to be involved with interacting with Ghost Corps as a independent media producer who owns his own company. Um, and I was really energized by listening to Steven because he's the kind of person who represents a portion of our fandom who have been thinking about what they would do with Ghostbusters if they could since they were kids. And in his case, he's done it long enough that he's begun to actually start to execute on it. It was a really fascinating conversation and really insightful in terms of hearing about how what was sort of a almost forgotten app that not necessarily everybody picked up and used uh, was marketed alongside of a movie. If you haven't tried out Ghostbusters Scare, I really suggest go and give that a try before it disappears from app stores because you're coming up to about a year of that being out. It was released in November around the same time the movie came out because it was designed to sort of be an in-movie universe companion experience uh, and so you may even want to watch ghostbusters afterlife and then give it a try so so before i bury the lead anymore let's go now to our interview with abysmal entertainments stephen shea okay joining me on the extraplasm podcast today is stephen shea hello uh, thank you stephen for joining us i've actually traveled to see stephen uh, outside los angeles and delivered a bag of bread along with this interview. Which yes. I, has that the first time it's ever happened for you in, a, in an interview context? Uh, free bread, absolutely. Though I, I love bread, so I'm very excited to be able to get to, to sample some of the amazing bread that you post about on Instagram. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and for those of you who are maybe new to this experience of bread, I bake bread that's made from a sourdough culture named after the Scolari brothers because I collect spores, molds, and fungus 
Uh, and if you don't at home, you should too. But is that in the bread? Uh, well, the sourdough culture is. There's no mold in the bread. That's <laughs> oh, for thank sure. Goodness. But uh, there's like, but I, you think about sourdough culture. Is I always think about Egon Spengler's house, and you see it sure. in Afterlife, and he's got all these jars of all the things he's collected, and it's like you know he has a sourdough culture. He has to. Oh yeah. Like you know he's probably growing cheese because he's just uh, why wouldn't I? So it is a farm. Yeah, like that's everybody thinks he's farming dirt, but they don't realize is that the actual growing is happening underneath the ground. That's what <laughs> that's what we'll get in the sequel. Bunker. They they find another bunker filled with with bread. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but Stephen is joining us today because Stephen was writer for Ghostbusters Afterlife Scare, which was mm-hmm. the app game that came out during the run of Ghostbusters Afterlife, available for uh, iPhones and Android and tablets. I don't think it was available mm-hmm. on anything else. Am I missing? That? I don't think so. But um, if you can still get it, if you've never played it, you can still go and get it from your app store now. Mm -hmm. And I would suggest, honestly, if you're going to do that, you should probably do it. Because if you know anything about apps, they eventually leave. Disappear. Yeah. Yeah. So but um, tell us a little bit about how sort of where you come from, your background and how you connected with Ghostbusters in a creative way. Sure. Um, uh, I grew up in South Florida in the Florida Keys on an island. And got into, got very lucky, like knew I wanted to get into the film business and the entertainment industry early. Uh, as a kid, was a total Ghostbuster fan. Have tons of photos of me running around at 10 with shirts and signs <laughs> on my door and proton packs and toys. and So deeply one of us, like you are not oh. somebody who came to Ghostbusters from like, yeah, I work on, you know, pictures and I work on no. uh, CG and I got involved in Ghostbusters. But like you're a deeply... This oh, is part of what you are. Oh, right? my entire childhood. I mean, if you asked me when I was a kid what I wanted to be when I grew up, it would be a Ghostbuster, which little did I know I would actually be able to accomplish that dream later on. Um, <laughs> but but no, I, I was always obsessed with Ghostbusters. I loved science. And as a teenager, I really loved horror. And so, you know, Ghostbusters has both of those elements. And I mean, it's pretty, definitely one of the best horror comedies of all time. And um, went to college in Central Florida, left college because I couldn't get into film school. Uh, but I, I started working in television when I was 16. First movie I ever worked on was True Lies, which was pretty really? exciting. Yeah, to be on the bridge the day they landed the Harrier jets. And uh, <laughs> it was pretty epic. So I was like, oh, this is what every movie is going to be like, which is not true at all. So um, not every movie has Arnold Schwarzenegger hanging off the front of an It F-port, does not. Like no, <laughs> little did I know at the time. Um, but started a company in Orlando called Abysmal Entertainment, which we're celebrating 20 years this year. It's uh Thank you. It's a kind of an alternative multimedia company. We do film, television, commercials, industrials, as well as photography, graphic design. We just got into comic books and animation during the pandemic. So now we offer those services as well. That's awesome. And um, we've released a handful of feature films and series and hundreds of corporate client videos. We create a lot of content for different clients around the country, a few out of out of country as well. And, you know, I like to stay busy, like to stay creative, but always kind of really wanting to focus on the horror side of things, uh, if I could. But um, net, so we lived in Orlando for 15 years and now I've been in Los Angeles for seven years uh, where I got to discover the the local franchise here uh, of the Los Angeles Ghostbusters, which I'm a member of. Yep. And that's I should I probably should have said that, too. But, but it's, I- it's, <laughs> it's also in there, uh, which, you know, again, like getting that childhood dream of being able to be a Ghostbuster and getting a proton pack and suiting up and going out and actually making a difference in the community. It, and that's been really fantastic. I, I will say as someone who knows you from that community, <laughs> I'm, like I had met you through the local sort of convention circuit at first. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have the the coolest ghost whistle 
that oh. I know of anybody in the entire franchise community of people. So that's like, if you were going to get an award, <laughs> that would be the, the best ghost whistle in the community award. But well, um, yeah, thank you. And that, <laughs> and that'll come up in a minute uh, with the story. So I write, direct, produce uh, in the film business. And so the story about scare, I mean, knowing I was a huge ghostbuster freak, uh, a good friend of mine, he was friends with the producer of that game and the producer asked him if he would be interested in helping, you know, write the game for them. And he was like, you know what, you really need to talk to Stephen Shea because he knows way more about Ghostbusters than I do. And he would really be able to put more passion into this than I do. And so he called me and he's like, hey, would you be interested in writing this video game for Ghostbusters Afterlife? And I was just like, who's pranking me right now? Like, is this <laughs> hidden camera show? Like, what's happening? Like, there's no way this is possible. And so sure enough, yes, uh, I ended up getting brought on to write um, the video game for Afterlife, which, yeah, uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife Scare. So when we say write, this is something I just I think mm -hmm. about in terms of how a game like this gets made. And like, just real quick, we should give a synopsis for anybody who hasn't played it. Yes. It's an, uh, an augmented reality experience. Mm -hmm. So essentially you use your cell phone and you point your camera in the direction where you want to look and then ghosts appear on the screen and you fire away with your Neutrona wand mm -hmm. um, and try to capture them, right? So you are running around your space trying to get behind ghosts and interact with them. And so it's sort of like a video game, but it's also, I it's a weird description because it's not like, hey, sit down and push buttons right. as much as it's kind of almost like the uh, Ghostbusters world game, but with a better AR component. It's definitely, and that was a big goal, was I, I loved Ghostbusters, uh, the world, video, world yeah. yeah, when that came out. I love, because I'm obsessed with Pokemon Go as well. Which yeah, is a, which kind was of kind problem. of like Pokemon Go for it, Ghostbusters. Very much yeah. so. Uh, and it's unfortunate that that got kind of abandoned after a few months. But this game, they definitely wanted to be a lot more technically advanced. They wanted it to be screen accurate. They 3D scanned all the actual props from Afterlife. They got the ghost files from Sony of the actual ghosts in the movie. Because they wanted it to look as realistic as they possibly mm -hmm. could. And it has ASMR sound and all of these new AR technologies. And, you know, when things happen on the screen, your phone vibrates mm -hmm. or different things happen, which is cool. And it kind of the whole idea was that it takes over your phone. So there's parts where it's like, oh, you're getting a voice call. You're a FaceTime call from one of the actors from the movie. Or, uh-oh, someone's taken over. The ghost took over your Spotify account and started playing music. And <laughs> it has all these really interesting intricacies that I thought was really cool about it. Uh, definitely the first video game that I've ever been brought on to write. So it was a really interesting experience. There's a whole side of it that's game dev that is building the game that we have to work with because we, myself and the main producer, uh, Brett Thompson, he like we he had a general idea of how the levels were going to work. But the first thing that I had to do was they're like, all right, you need to read the afterlife script to break it down and how we're going to build this game out And this. I got that script in October of 2020. Wow. OK. Which, again, like holy shit you know just blew my mind it was like oh go read this script for this movie that's not going to come out for another year <laughs> and that you have like a deep connection to and that you were hoping yes. to have seen three months ago <laughs> yes that point, exactly right? so yeah so it was that was definitely an interesting experience like getting that and spoiling the entire thing for myself without getting to see it you know which is kind of you know which is amazing and terrible at the same time uh, knowing like what's going to happen, be like, okay, and then how do we translate this into the game? Because the game actually goes along with the movie. Mm -hmm. The goal was that the movie is happening and you're on a side story as the movie characters are going through the movie. You're also dealing with this on your end, uh, which is cool. And so we had to kind of develop that and then figure out, all right, which characters are going to be in which level. And the game is, is definitely very podcast heavy. 
he kind of controls most of the narrative in it. But then you get uh, Trevor, you get Phoebe, you get Lucky. They all pop up throughout the game. And it was actually really crazy. And I, hopefully everyone has seen Ghostbusters Afterlife at this point. <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife, you need to stop episode one of the podcast <laughs> and you need to go watch Ghostbusters Afterlife. That's yes. Then you can come back and listen to the rest of the podcast that will happen in the future. Uh, but if you have not gotten there, you got to take care of that. Yes, please, please. <laughs> yes, spoilers uh, are going to happen because it's a Ghostbusters podcast. And if you haven't watched all of Ghostbusters already, I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> so it was the craziest thing when when building that world was we have a chapter on, again, spoiler alert, Gozer. And so they were like, all right, write some new dialogue for Gozer. And I remember being here like, you know, writing elements of the game. And I'd started breaking down crying <laughs> when I got to Gozer because I was like, when in a million years as a child, like obsessed with Ghostbusters, ran my VHS into the ground. Would I ever think I would get the opportunity to write dialogue for Gozer the Gozerian, yeah. which is just completely destroyed me. It was amazing, like the greatest experience being able to do that. Um and so the writing process is interesting because we overwrite a lot because we're like, okay, you know, the game, it's, it's a constant move and shift. And so I would write a dialogue for a chapter. We have to break everything down. So we're like, okay, this, this level is going to be about Muncher. We know Muncher is going to be the ghost in this first level. Uh, who's going to talk to him? Like, who's going to talk to the player? Because every level we kind of talk to the player a little bit, keep them connected with so the characters. That, so that sort of structure of like, these are the levels, these are mm -hmm. the end bosses. Like, does that exist prior to you coming in and constructing story it was it was all in a, in a consistent flux because at one point like i read the script and i was like oh man we got to get the sentinels in here like the sentinel is amazing like we got to have a sentinel level and then mini puffs it's like okay what can we do with all the mini puffs like how can we work that in like how can we make this happen and and then it's like how many how much are they budgeted for level wise can we make six levels we're making eight levels it was always kind of a, a shift at the beginning they had a general idea of the first few where it's like okay we know we're starting with muncher we know we're going to have an early level which is basically the radio uh it's a it's a possessed radio i do i love i love that like if for somebody not to spoil this game because i want people to go check it out if you haven't already <laughs> but there are some really great things if you're an old school ghostbusters fan that's like mm -hmm. the, the first the first thing that you are going to fight in the game is a possessed radio that is playing cleaning up the town yes like on it <laughs> and as you shoot it it starts to like fall apart and the music sounds like it's starting to like warble and it's just so like you are sucked in in the moment to like, oh, this is like somebody who made this. The people who made this actually like connected the dots. And, mm -hmm. and it has that same sort of feel that, and not, you know, I want sort of not to steal the thunder of what you're talking about, but it has that same sort of feel that connecting like, hey, that's the orange thing from the lab when we were yes. all watching the trailer. Yep. That sort of same pulling together of these individual pieces from the old school uh, movies, the Easter eggs that were there kind of exist in this space too that really kind of mm -hmm. pulls you in right away and i like it so and there, were, there was a lot like that 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 we tried to work in you know little even just little words that would reference something you know that you would that would click in your mind that's like oh yeah that that connects to that and this and that yeah um the whole process overall with the writing would be i would write a draft of the script and the script for each level is like a page you know, there's not a ton of dialogue there's maybe a couple paragraphs that the character will talk to you or there's words that come up on the screen right and so I would write a level, then it would go through the game producer and he would sign off on it. Then it would go to Sony and Ghost Core and they would sign off on it. And then by the end, it would go to Jason Reitman and he would put in 
what he thought the characters would more sense, which makes a whole lot more sense sure. because none of us had seen the movie at this point. We were we were building it based only on the script. Uh, now, they did send us a lot of clips to watch, which was great because it was like, oh, because I didn't know how the ghosts worked. So I'm like, how does Muncher work? What's the physiology and everything? So right. they were like, here's the Muncher scene so we could see kind of how he flies around and how he eats metal and how all that functions. And that was really crazy to get those scenes a year early as well, which the hardest part of this entire process was not talking to anyone about it for a year, <laughs> just sitting on the fact. And I remember being there at the, we went to the family and friends screening think you were yes, at, you know, yes. uh, with the Reitmans and everything. I remember just sitting there the whole time being like, I'm counting down the seconds till this movie is over so I can talk to <laughs> somebody talk about, to it. about it. That's so funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was quite a feat. And so it it works itself around in a really big circle and then the script would come back and then we would give the script to the actors and shot shot it on cell phones and things to make it more short. We try to make it as realistic as possible, mm-hmm. um, which it does kind of come across pretty cool. It does. Uh, we snuck in a few little Easter eggs here and there. We tried to. There was there was things that Sony, Sony would shoot down You're like, OK, well, you know, there can't be mood slime. Like, I remember that was a note. Like, you can't have mood slime. And it's like. I get it. You know, it's like, that's fine. It doesn't connect to the story. There's not mood slime in afterlife. But and again, we didn't know exactly what was going to be on screen. And even the script that I broke down ended up being different when we watched it in theaters. There's stuff in the theater that wasn't in the script and vice versa. Sure. I I even think about the the fact that it was only mere months before the movie came out that Mm -hmm. Ecto one had been spotted downtown in L.A. Yeah. at At the old firehouse. And people were like, why is it there? It must be like a music video or something. They're filming right. to go with the movie because the movie's locked and done. They couldn't be making any changes. And then lo and behold, we all got to an after credit sequence with literally Winston standing in the firehouse yeah. that was shot on that day that everybody had seen on the internet. And so. that and that wasn't in the original script, of right. course. Um, but I think once the movie was finished and the studio saw it and they're like, wow, we really have something with this. I think it made them a lot more confident. Of course, now they've announced, what, six new Ghostbuster projects yeah. on Ghostbuster Day. So... Uh, very confident now, especially. Um, you've also worked to develop an animated short right, for Ghostbusters mm-hmm. called Ghostbusters Reanimated. And so, I mean, I imagine you have to be pretty excited about the idea that there's new animated projects in the works that people are even talking about right now, given as that sort of. Yes, that's part of where you come from, too, is sort of this desire to engage animation. Well, and so what ended up happening is we wrote the game and, uh, you know, then my job was finished and there was a lot of easter eggs that they that sony wouldn't agree to let us put in the game and i was like man like i really i was so involved in the world at the time and i outside of of ghostbusters i end up uh through my career in the industry have open pitches at montecito picture company ivan reitman's company and so i had pitched them prior an animated series that i was shopping with a friend of mine and which was really ironic like going to sony for the first time to pitch a movie at ghost core like or in the Montecito, it was the same same firehouse. Um, <laughs> well, half of its ghost core and half of its Montecito. But like going there and like standing in front of the firehouse and hanging out with the Ecto ones, and then going in and trying to be like, "Hey, you should make my TV show." And halfway through our pitch, Ivan Reitman busts in. This is like <laughs> five years ago, four four years ago before so the pandemic. So like, let's just set the tone for folks who've never been on the Sony lot. There is a yeah. building at mm-hmm. Sony that looks like the firehouse from Ghostbusters, and yep. outside is where the Ecto one. And the at this point, I believe the Afterlife Ecto. It was the 2016, the 2016 Ecto one was, was there. It yeah. was there. This is way before, probably still is. Way before Afterlife. But I'm saying now. Oh, what's, now what's it is. Probably yeah, there, yeah. But, you're, but at the time you're going. Yeah. What's out there is like the Ecto one, 
the 2016 Ecto-1, right? And mm-hmm. probably like that weird helmet car that's always oh, parked out there. Oh, yeah, from 21 Jump Street. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that you're not like when you say you're pitching at Montecito Pictures, you're literally pitching in. A, in a, the firehouse yeah in a fabrication of the firehouse yeah. right yeah well and it's funny because you walk in and it's a museum first off uh there's ghostbuster stuff all over the place they have a pole which of course i go to the secretary i'm like hey does this pole still work <laughs> and they were like ha 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 and i'm like i'm sure no one's ever said that before right because sure every <laughs> single person says that uh it's not a real pole though it doesn't it doesn't actually there's no hole to go down but uh they do have a fire pole in the lobby and you go and sit in the conference room like while you're waiting which has the gigantic five foot tall go you know moogly logo and then it has all the patches on the walls of all the franchises those are all framed in there yeah um so if and, you're listening at home and you're one of those people who sent in a patch steven shea has it's, sat it's in totally in there patch. i probably stole pictures <laughs> of it while i was waiting uh for our meeting but yeah it was it was great uh interview uh pitching there and then halfway through our pitch yeah ivan reitman busts in and i just blacked out i think <laughs> for a minute and he was like oh hey sorry guys hi i'm, I'm ivan and i was just like, <laughs> like i don't i don't even know what happened that next moment. Down. and i would say if jason reitman's out there ever listening to this podcast i'm the guy who walked up to you and completely was couldn't figure out where you should sign something at the, the family and friends <laughs> premiere because i had the same experience yeah uh, but that's so how, it was he just like duck in and say hi and then leave yeah. or he totally just kind of like popped in like right in the middle of the pitch of course because you're like you practice this this 14 minute pitch that you're you know you've got your game face on and everything and then ivan busts in and i'm just like oh my gosh like you're, this is a person that has <laughs> had such an impact on my life and my career and everything uh inspiration wise and he's like oh hi i'm ivan and i'm thinking to myself like yeah no shit man like, <laughs> like we don't know who you are give me a break uh and he just like said hi and dipped out and then and they're like, okay, continue. And I'm just like, continue what? What's, what's <laughs> happening? Like, what's going on? <laughs> uh, but that that's helped uh keep that door open there. Um and so when we did the video game, oh, which by the way, side story, you had mentioned my the ghost whistle, the Aztec yes, death whistle. Sorry. We kind so, of deviated, but it's okay. It's this all, is oh, how yeah. this podcast is. So it's when I, got, anyway. <laughs> when I got the script for Afterlife and it has the sequences with the Aztec death whistle, I was like, what the hell is an Aztec death whistle? So I went and looked it up, like watched the videos on YouTube. And again, this is a year before the movie came out. And I was like, oh, man. So for this was in October. I got that script. So I found a group in Mexico that actually still like hand makes the death whistles. And they, they work fantastically. And I told my wife for Christmas. It was on my Christmas. I'm like, I want this whistle for Christmas. <laughs> And she's like, what do you want that for? Like, what do you, what? Why would you want that? And I'm like, no reason. I just, just, uh, it's on my list. Like, give me this death whistle. <laughs> so you can't even tell her. I didn't even tell because her. Because you, you're working on a project. You can't even tell your spouse, like, this well, is why I want this. You just come I, to her creepily and go, I want a whistle. I think at some point she was like, this is from Ghostbusters, isn't it? And I'm like, maybe. Like, I, But I didn't, I also don't want to ruin the experience for anyone else to watch it. You know, like, right. I want everybody to watch it with fresh eyes and I don't want to like spoil anything like that. Cause I mean, of course people ask me a million questions and I was like, no, I don't know, you know, maybe <laughs> like, well, is this obviously Gruber saying is connected to blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Oh, maybe so. I don't know. Maybe. I had like, there are so many, at some point I want to do a podcast that just breaks like an episode that just breaks down all of the wrong theories. Oh yeah. Like just one episode. That's just all the things we all got. Mine will be that I had was convinced that they were going to tie in the video game by mm. saying that the when they dist- when they had the crossover in 1984 they actually just sent Gozer to another mandala node oh. and the mandala node was in this underground temple that happened to be in Oklahoma sure and so that connected the two things together and when it didn't happen I was almost disappointed but like- it's 
it is kind of weird. It was funny. Someone had released like a breakdown of the script on some website where like, well, this is what actually happens. And I remember reading it being like, this isn't it at all. Like, ooh, <laughs> like you have some things right, which were guesses, but I'm like, this isn't even no, like you're wrong. But there has this. to be some level of frustration there where it's like you are interacting like with a fan yes. community and you know you have the innate knowledge of what's going to happen. Not necessarily what's going to be on screen, right. but what is sort of almost like the cards in the deck that remain in the stack, right? If you're in Vegas and you're like, hey, I know we're playing blackjack and I know what's come out so far. Right. I also know what remains in the deck at this point. Maybe you're not supposed to know that when you play blackjack and it's illegal. I don't think legally, but (laughs) But (laughs) rain man it. Yeah, I mean, like, point being that you have an idea of what is going to be the potential ingredients in this soup because you've seen inside the pantry. Yes, yes. For other people to then come in and be like, well, actually, there's going to be tofu involved. And you're like, no, that's not in the pantry. What are you talking <laughs> yeah. about? Um, people would get mad at me about stuff, too. Like, well, you know, obviously this happens. And, you know, I know you got to keep it secret. But, like, I'm right. And I'm kind of like, eh, you're not. You're going to be <laughs> really disappointed when you go <laughs> right. to the movie. Like, And I didn't want anybody to be disappointed. I was really nervous about that. Because the movie definitely, of course, you know, it, it's we've been wanting this for so long. And, like, they needed to get it right. And... I thought they did when I read the script. Like I'm like, oh, I can totally see this being fantastic. Uh, but I mean, you know, I think that the project they came out with is great. I oh yeah. But and it did exactly what it needed to. You know, yeah. it reinvigorated the franchise. It gave Sony the confidence to start putting more money behind it and expand the universe. And now that the entire new universe is in canon, that'll also help. Yeah. I think across the board too. Yep. Um. But so going back to where we were five stories ago. <laughs> Sorry. They, no, I'm all over the place. The animated short. So we, I had just finished the game and I had opened up a new animation arm of my company abysmal during the pandemic because, okay. you know, getting LA locked down for months and with nowhere to go and nothing happening. I was like, all right, I'm going to learn a new skill. So I decided to teach myself animation for the first month. Were and you partially motivated because you didn't have to have people? A hundred percent. Well, you're trying to figure out ways to produce from home yeah. without having to interact with anyone. And also the union guidelines got really complicated. So like for actors, I mean, budgets now are boosted 20 to 30 percent to be COVID compliant. Whereas for animation, I'm like, oh, you can record at home. Well, I'll direct you over Zoom. Right. And we're done. I think about the number of even a level celebrity actors who became like people in closets Mm -hmm. um, recording things and became voiceover actors. And one of the people I think about just in the L.A. sort of community of uh, the L.A. community. What does that even mean? People, the people (laughs) who live in L.A. who make things. Yeah. Uh, Ricky Lindholm, who is Mm. part of Garfunkel and Oaks for years now, and she's an actress. Mm -hmm. She repeatedly posted on Instagram that she had gotten herself a closet, soundproofed it, and also bought a massage chair. And so Uh, that was like, this is my massage chair in (laughs) studio space and began to just record cartoons. And I thought that was kind Mm -hmm. of interesting to watch a number of people in different acting circuits and circles pivot totally animation. So, and we have friends that like were on Disney shows and stuff and they were like, Oh yeah, Disney sent me this pop-up vocal booth that just pops up in my living room and I can record <laughs> my whole star Wars show like right here. It's super easy. That's and, amazing. And so we were figuring out that animation world and we had had some pitches at Montecito and had gotten a, possibly a little bit of secret information that they were developing something new for Ghostbusters in the animation space. And this is over a year and a half ago. And I was like, Oh, well, that's interesting. (laughs) And so I was like, you know, no one's ever done an animated Ghostbusters fan film, you know, like an RGB style kind of fan film like that. So I was like, we should just do it. You know, let's get some friends. And so we did, we got some friends together 
I had already, I knew exactly what was going to happen in Afterlife. And so I'm like, I can't have any connection to that whatsoever. But since I know what the connections are, I can write around it. Right. So I wrote the story that takes place a year before Afterlife um, with this group of students at Columbia University that discover a box in the basement of that was Ray Stanz's, you know, with a bunch of uh, proton pack uh, parts and things. And, and they're super fans of the original Ghostbusters. And so they decide to build one of their own. And uh, they accidentally get well, they they've been trying to find mood slime left over from, <laughs> you know, the the Carpathian attack. And they get one on eBay. That's an actual jar of mood slime that they finally found. And they accidentally unleash a spirit and then have to go and try to stop the spirit uh, in there at Columbia University. <laughs> what was really cool about the short is researching more about Columbia. I never realized that the biggest collider was built at Columbia University. For the Manhattan Project. Oh, really? And is still there to this day in the basement. Wow. Abandoned, covered in graffiti. <laughs> like, and I was like, so you're telling me the biggest proton pack in the world is under Columbia University where the Ghostbusters started. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I was like, man, what a what an awesome thing to connect, you know, into yeah. a story. So we we have that in our story that it exists, which I thought was I love mixing fiction and, and I never reality. Knew that. That's interesting. It's really bizarre. And I'm like, what did this is this? Did they know this when they made Ghostbusters? Like, was this because I'm like, it's weird that they're in the same place where the original. My, my, this was funny. My only thing I know about Columbia and how Ghostbusters was produced was that they weren't sure how they were, what the revenue was going to be from their interaction of letting them use it. So I think they donated or they dedicated the budget allocation towards mm. gardening and landscaping. Oh, and that's true. part of why when you go to Columbia. And you look at the landscaping, you're like, wow, it's amazing. Because part of it is like it's <laughs> Ghostbusters money and film money. They would just go, That's what are funny. we going to do with the revenue? They, right. We don't know if this will be a successful picture. And we have some percentage that we're getting from something for being for using our space. Yeah. So we don't know. Like, what do we put it towards? It's got to be something that isn't necessarily essential. And so that's funny. I don't know if that's I, to be fair. That's not I won't put that as on the record <laughs> as a fact that I know as much as a thing I've heard. But um google it see if it's right if it is come back and be on this podcast <laughs> but <laughs> well and look up the story about the about the cyclotron that's under columbia yeah. it's weird that now it's like an urban exploration place so you can find people that have broken in there and like taking <laughs> selfies with it and stuff and yeah it's covered in graffiti and it's all like abandoned i'm like wow wow but what imagine what a plot like if we ever because we we released the short you know we had a lot of people that enjoyed it and People are like, you need to make this into a real thing and i'm like well not legally i can't you and know can people still find the short out <laughs> oh it's on youtube yeah so it's kind of called Ghostbusters Reanimated, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Ghostbusters Reanimated. So if you haven't Re-animated. seen it, go out, check it out. Um, mm-hmm. It's like under, it's it's under like eight minutes. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like under 10 minutes. Yeah. Right? So um, I've watched it, but I admittedly have not watched it recently. I was trying it's... to fight Sentinel Terror Dogs in my living room last <laughs> night to talk about the game. No, totally. But it, it was a lot of fun. And so that ended up getting us a little bit more eyes as well. Um, you know, Sony saw it and enjoyed it. And so we're, uh, you know, we're we're excited to have that come out. And so that's kind of part of the whole deal now and you know hopefully we'll get to do some more stuff with sony with ghostbusters in the future it's always the plan of course yeah um, and that seems like you've at least hopped onto an on-ramp at least once you hope to remain yes on the freeway yes <laughs> so. and i'm part of the legacy now which is like such an incredible thing <laughs> it's, it's um, kind of cool to be like i've written content right like there's not a yeah. lot of people who can say i've produced content that you can consider if even if you consider it not direct mm-hmm. cinematic canon it's no different than producing something for idw right i mean like sure video games at this point and cinema 
have blended so strongly oh, yeah. that people don't, they want, they want, they don't want to make that wedge. They want everything to be inclusive. Mm-hmm. And when I look at something like scare, it is literally a cinematic. It's the, oh, yeah. you are, all of the things you're going to interact with are voicemails or that are like video voicemails from mm-hmm. the characters in the game who are blowing up your phone. And I was trying to think of like the last game I played like that. And I remember that I played like the Mr. Robot game when it came out. Oh, yeah. Sort of like they would text you every day and be like, you need to help Elliot hack Bancor <laughs> or whatever it was. Sure. Um, but it's it's sort of interesting to me that video games and cinema are blending in this way. Totally. Where like you it's harder and harder to say like, well, that's not canon. It wasn't right. it wasn't on screen. And it's like, well, but it was <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Like, so. um. So for you, what's the one thing if you could put into the Ghostbusters universe that doesn't exist now, what would it be? Oh, man. I mean, I really, I love how where the comics went with it, where the comics started expanding it out to other places and other actual haunted places, like bringing in reality into it more, too. I think it's cool. I mean, I think now that we have so many different Ghostbuster avenues coming, two new movies games new comics from dark horse it's it's i'm very curious to see where i mean there's definitely going to be a roadmap yeah for everything luckily now that jason's uh kind of taken everything in and has said everything will be in canon so that's exciting um it's so funny i always wanted to pitch a a series that was cops but with ghostbusters (laughs) And so you're just following around Ghostbusters, but you're like a cop's video crew and you're like, so it's kind of like docudrama. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think it'd be such an easy transition to where it's just like, oh yeah, we're the Des Moines Ghostbusters and we're, you know, blah, blah, <laughs> we got to go. Oh, we got to, you know, we got to call over here with a class three and oh, okay. You know, and you just like follow this group kind of like arena nine one one. Yeah. But with like Ghostbusters. Funny. And I'm like, I always thought that'd be a really easy transition to make. Like that would be, you know, affordable and fun. Yeah. And I think now that they've brought in the idea of, of Winston, it seems like Winston will now head up the future of Ghostbusters now with real money behind it, which it's never had before. Right. That's, <laughs> in the I Ghostbusters think, world. There's two things I, I think that coming out of the movie that I think are at odds with the fandom in a way. One is that Ghostbusters was always like this sort of like rough and tumble comes from the garage. We slapped it right. together thing. And now it doesn't need to be because... Winston worked in the private sector and he got results. (laughs) (laughs) So the other guy is like, we're going to work in the private sector. They expect results. That's creepy. Winston's like, what's the problem? We'll go make the money and then we can go buy a building, whatever whatever we want. And the other is that I've been, and I'll sort of see what your take on this is, but you said, imagine if like the Des Moines Ghostbusters are out (laughs) there. For me, I came out of afterlife and I joked about this and I was like, well, that's it. Like what? I'm like, that's it. Franchises aren't canon. (laughs) <laughs> like, right? what we know about <laughs> this movie is that uh they had a business it went out of business and then one of them took all the stuff and left and ran away with it yep. and they never franchised and they never went other places and any yep. sense that there were franchises that came <laughs> from your video games or anything else is complete and utter nonsense because they're not canon suck it franchises yep. <laughs> <laughs> Just, but i mean that to me is what i think is interesting is like there, i want that element mm-hmm. like sort of where you're talking about that lets that sense that there are many different organizations right right kind of like that all are under this one umbrella it's kind of how our fan community evolved sure so in a way i kind of want there to be a canon engagement with that that doesn't 
well, like make that kind of stick out like a sore thumb and be like, why are there all these other groups? Like, right. Yeah. Well, so, and I feel like, and I don't know anything about the future story. All I know is what happened in afterlife, but now seeing where they're bringing back the containment unit that's still running, yeah. but is falling apart. I'm also wondering is what would be amazing is if that containment unit opened up again mm -hmm. and every ghost that they have caught for the dozens of years that they were in business, sure. get out. And now all of a sudden there's ghosts all over the place, you know, not just New York, but everywhere else too. And they have to go and try to clean up this mess that they caused. William Atherton gets a cameo role because right? they bring him back to be like, you let them out of the unit. You wanted to scam New York. I told them, <laughs> I told them. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I feel like there's a lot they can do with it. Um, and, and like Jason said it on Ghostbusters days, like there are decades that are unexplored of where the Ghostbusters were and what they did, you know, before yeah. all of this happened, um, almost 40 years worth. So it's like, yeah, I, I'm for me. Like I look at that almost kind of the way that, um, I look at star Trek mm -hmm. as a person who's a star Trek fan. Like uh, a lot of people don't like things like star Trek enterprise. Like they're not big fans of it. But mm -hmm. what I loved about like the last season of star Trek enterprise was that it delved into all of these things that already existed in the canon. Mm. And it went, let's make congruity. Like we have sure. incongruous story. We have stories that have conflicts, like two different episodes that say two different things. Well, let's just fix that. Like let's step yeah. in and we're going to show you an era in Star Trek you've never seen that's going to correct this canon problem. Right. right. And I think that you can look at sort of Star Wars as doing a little bit of the same kinds of things that you, I don't know if it's retconning, Mm -hmm. because it's not like hey we just changed what the canon was before because we decided we wanted to as much as it's we made a natural sort of progression between point a and point b in stories mm -hmm. and i think that what you're talking about is kind of that opportunity of like new totally. spaces like i want to know like what happens between say the 89 movie mm -hmm. and the point where like egon is saying I'm not even worried about any of this minor stuff. Right. Right. Like none of this matters. Like I want this, like, I don't know how you can make that as a movie because right. you don't have the principal actors yeah. you need to, and you don't have, I mean, the CG investment to try and right. do everything you would need to would be both on the one hand expensive and on the other hand, maybe not all that respectful. Right. Right. So, True. but I, I don't know. I think to me, I think that what you're like that opportunity to carve into the, Mm -hmm. almost not like we got to go somewhere new but we can go somewhere new at the same time as we can dig into the old and yeah tell new stories and it is a very awesome thing just expand the world you know so much and we've expanded to somerville you know we've from new york and so now it's like there's so many opportunities from the build it out even more so name the number one place you would like a ghostbusters franchise to open up on planet earth that it would that if you, if you if you had your heart of hearts and you were like this is where the franchise would be new orleans new orleans probably lot of good ghosts a activity. lot of ghosts yeah i mean a lot of great ghost stories there yeah um yeah they have a lot of work to do what's that is that <laughs> there's that real ghostbusters episode was that um play them ragtime booze I think yeah it's yeah yeah where they go down there yeah yeah that's a good episode yeah they have all the old school like musician ghosts come out in the episode. and that's what's like i love exploring all the different i mean we have a lot of haunted places in america yeah you know so i mean there's so many and internationally of course as well so like there's so many opportunities I mean, we have ghost hunters, you know, the series and all those that are actually doing it in real life. I'm like, there's so many opportunities for real Ghostbusters in the universe to go to these authentically haunted places. And and I mean, Ghostbusters is grounded in reality, which is great. Um, 
so it's like New York exists. Like these are all real actual spots. So there's a lot I feel like they can do with that. And I'm curious to see what, like, I feel like not every thing has to be the end of the world. Yeah. Right. You know, it's like, you got to figure out, okay, not, maybe it's not the end of the world, but maybe, Oh, we just let out 500 ghosts that we got to go in. Sure. Or like, what are the stories that aren't about the potential threat that's right. going to take out the entire city, but is just the annoyance that's bothering somebody over and over yeah. again. Right. It's like the, the toilet that keeps flushing itself because it's possessed. Right. right. So not because it's trying to eat everybody whoever sits down on it, but just because like, I've loved that in the ghostbusters video game from 2009, mm-hmm. where it was like, you collected all these artifacts that were possessed or haunted, but yeah. they were generally like benign. It was like a pair of bell bottoms that followed you right. around and played, uh, you know, sixties music or uh, a dancing toaster. Right. But, yep. And so I would love to see sort of almost like a, a shorts had a thing that looked at all of these little paranormal investigations that weren't necessarily going to destroy uh-huh. the entire world, but were kind of comedic almost. Well, and that's know? what real ghostbusters was. Sure. You know, that was, and that totally worked. And now that we're getting a new animated series, you know, I'm curious if it goes in that similar direction where it's like, I remember Disney did with, with Lilo and Stitch where they had a, a whole, well, they made all these movies off it, but they made a movie where all of a sudden Stitch is the, you know, experiment 626. They released the other 625 experiments and the entire series is them going and collecting <laughs> all of the experiments they I have to release. This. That's funny. And it's fun. Like it's super fun. And then like it expands the world so much. And you know, you have all these different episodes because you got to go find one per episode. So you have 600 episodes you can make. Right. I kind of feel like that with Ghostbusters, they could easily do with you know, the containment unit has a breach again, because no one's been looking at it for 30 years right. or whatever. And, um, and see what's stuck out. And then you can read, you know, you can have a lot of repeat. It was crazy reading the afterlife script and having the whole scene with bug eye. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, like we have a bug, we get bug eye like on the screen now. And then seeing the scene of it, like they sent us the scene because we had to write that. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Because we have a bug eye episode in the game and we have the minor episode in the game. Uh, yeah. With the possessed miners that are like blowing up your house they and like come to your floor. floor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then the sentinels, like, reading the sentinels and then being like, I don't know how these work. One of the things they also showed us was the set photography. So it was like, here's 18,000 set photos to reference. And I was like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, like this is insane. And then finding out that they actually built all of those sets. Like that Gazarian temple is hundred percent right. practical. <laughs> like and they, I hope it's boxed up somewhere so that they can pull it out. Whenever right. They need to. That's I, when I, when I saw how much of it they built and I was like, mm-hmm. okay, look, you built the whole house. Yeah. You took the whole house down, you crossed the border internationally with the house, and then you rebuilt it. So please, please tell me you put the temple away when you were yeah. done, too. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's sitting in someone's storage unit, for sure. I would but, hope. And it makes me wonder if the house is also like still sitting. Yeah. Like, did they take it back down and box it back up and it's somewhere? And you know, but, there was so much so much detail put into that house. Oh, like, yeah. There's got to be so many different things. Well, left I thought it was funny. I haven't seen Nope yet. But um, I haven't either. But I, I, my understanding is that they took like the set from the movie and they took it to Universal or something and made it into the maze. Oh, like, really? oh that's cool. I, I'm not sure if that's 100 percent accurate, but like the idea was that you're essentially walking through the same experience wow. of the movie. Um, and I was that's like, cool. Why? That would have been dope. <laughs> Afterlife, <laughs> like you walk in the house and it's just look all the numbers on the walls. Oh, so yeah. There's not a single photograph. <laughs> like, but <laughs> did you go when Universal had the Ghostbusters house for Halloween? I Hornets? didn't. I actually did not. Um, it was pretty awesome. Uh, I was actually pretty impressed with it. And the, the one in Florida and the one here were totally different. Like they had different elements to okay. each one. But um, I saw a lot of was, photos and so like cool. video of the walkthrough here. Yeah. And it seemed really cool. 
Um, but unfortunately, I just I never made it. I I admittedly, I'm oh, kind of okay with jump scares, but mm-hmm. my partner is completely anti jump scare. So when we talk sure. about like, hey, do you want to go to Halloween Horror Nights? She's like, hey, do you want a GTFO? Because yeah, no, not at all, um, not even a little. So, um, so I so I didn't get to go down, and then sort of after that, we didn't they didn't do you know we didn't have Horror Nights for like right. pandemic wise, but just yeah. didn't do it. So I wondered if it would come back, you know, given that there was a new movie coming sure. out. Sure. Um, because I believe when they did the old one, it was for the 35th anniversary. Right. So, yeah. Um, but um, who knows? We'll see. Like, we know we're getting a new movie. We know mm-hmm. we're getting new animated stuff, whether we're getting new animated uh, cartoon series, whether we're getting animated cinema. I, I, it's going to be both. It's going to be both, yeah. my understanding. So yeah. my my hope, my hope, my dream, I don't know. This, I don't know anything from Adam in this sense, but um, my understanding was that Ivan Reitman sort of provided consultation to the folks who did the Spider-Verse movie and mm. gave them notes and was interested in the animation process that they yeah. utilized for Spider-Verse and that there was some potential talk of like a Ghostbusters version like that sure. that was like use the same kind of animation technologies and what have you. Um, and to me, that seems like an opportunity to also be respectful to those people who like the 2016 movie. If you sure. Make it multiversal, but absolutely. Um, you know, this it worked is, so well in the comics. And there were, and there were a lot of people who really appreciated it in the comics. Yeah. And it sort of pulled it's, again. It's an opportunity to talk about those different stories mm-hmm. and different spaces within the fandom and the canon. And like, I, I'll say this as long as this podcast exists, like you can like what you like. This is never sure. going to be a podcast. That's like, Hey, that other <laughs> ghostbusters. It's like, no, everybody has their thing. So, right. Um, I'm hopeful that as we move forward and they continue to work on animated projects, that there's more opportunities to pull in the right. pre-existing stuff. And that doesn't have to be one canon. We're watching what like Disney's doing. Sure. And multiverses, right? Oh, it's, it's bonkers. Like, <laughs> we've kind of like pulled the bandaid off at this point. Yeah. It's like, okay. It was always okay in comic books. Right. But now it's okay in cinema to also confuse your audience by being like, yeah, no, this is a different version of it. It's sort of, yeah. Yeah. I'm curious if they'll, you know, I highly doubt we'll ever get the Transformers slash Ninja Turtles crossovers with Ghostbusters <laughs> like we did in the comics. I'm like, ah, that might be a stretch, but yeah, I don't think I don't think we're gonna end up there necessarily. But right, you know, I mean, those were interesting to look at though, because like, they were this. Oh, sort it was of, such a fun. Yeah, it yeah, made sense for sure. To like, let's blend these IPs together, mm-hmm. and it I mean it made sense given that you know Hasbro comes along and is, gets the Ghostbusters license. Like, what can we do to be synergistic right. together and put out product together? And it means that you get a transforming Ecto one out of it. Which, yeah, I mean, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. I'm not gonna lie. Like I don't whether you like Transformers or not. I'm not a huge oh, Transformers it's... fan. If you came to my house, you wouldn't find any others. But, sure. Like, yeah, that yes, Ecto Tron totally exists in my house. It's awesome. <laughs> like, but um, yeah. Well, now Dark Horse is taking over the comics, so I'm curious to see what yeah kind of angle and avenue they they do with the new ones. I am too, and I think that. You know, I th- what I think is kind of a bummer is that for the folks who were IDW fans, mm-hmm. they got this abrupt end. And I, but I, feel, I sort of almost feel like that is the story of lots of Ghostbusters things. It's right. like Ecto One buildup, abrupt end. Right. Like IDW comics, abrupt end. Like what? it just things kind of for some reason seem to run out. Yeah. You know, and I hope that in the new structure of how things can be planned out more this idea of like let's plan out multiple projects yes. at the same time as opposed to see what we can do to generate right. interest or Jump celebrate an anniversary right it 
lets more of those things dovetail together. So yeah, I mean, I I have all the collections of IDW except they never released the last one. So yeah. I'm like, just just release the last book of everything <laughs> so I can get them all. <laughs> and at some point, like in the fa- it'll be like 15 years from now, somebody will take those and they'll print them and put them in a PDF and they'll sell them on Etsy or something, and <laughs> people yeah, right. will be like, you're bootlegging. And huh? <laughs> Then people will go, no, we're helping out fans. And that battle will continue to rage All on. Right, forever. <laughs> IP matters. But, yeah. Um, well, any, I guess the last thing I want to ask you that's cool is mm-hmm. if you, if you could talk to folks out there who are like, who are like you, who have came from a background of like, they love this IP and they love talking about it. They do things like franchise work. They wanted to get involved in creating media. What's your piece? Like, what's your number one piece of advice for them? Like it probably isn't like, hey, go wait outside Jason Reitman's house and yeah. knock on the door with a script because that's a yeah, bad idea. That worked really well for the last guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like, I mean, what? How? What's your advice for folks who are looking to get into creating content that is within mm-hmm. the, a canon or an IP that they love? You know, it's like I've been in the business for over twenty-five years now, about, and a lot of people don't really understand like how it works. So, like for example. If you asked, well, who's running Ghostbusters? The answer is Montecito Picture Company. Like most people aren't going to know that. They're right. going to be like, well, it's Sony. It's like, well, no, you wouldn't contact Sony. Say, it's Ghost Core. Or Ghost Core. Yeah. It's like it's Montecito Picture Company. So it's like you would contact Montecito Picture Company to work with them. Like for Stranger Things, people are like, oh, if I want to work on Stranger Things, I'm going to call Netflix. It's like, no, you're going to call 21 Laps. Well, what's 21 Laps? Well, that's the company that makes Stranger Things right. for Netflix. And it's a lot easier to contact that company than is to walk into Netflix and be like, hey, Netflix, give me, I want to work on Stranger Things. But I want to try that. I would show up with like uh, just a Hellfire Club t-shirt on and yeah. walk in. Hi, Netflix. I belong here. <laughs> Eddie told me I could come by. Yeah. Uh, but so, I mean, you kind of, for fran- for things like that, uh, you know, there's a great way to discover information, which is IMDb Pro, the Internet Movie Database. Uh, if you have a pro account, you can get pretty much contact information for almost anyone in the industry. but Say you wanted to get into something Ghostbusters related, look and see who's producing it. Like the new animated movie uh, is being done by Chris Pazorski at Titmouse. You know, they're going to be animating it with Sony Animation. So it's kind of like you try you try to look around to see who is actually working on that as opposed to going to the big high end people. Right. Um, if you're looking to do franchise stuff, I mean, there's there's plenty of Ghostbuster franchises, I feel like, in every corner of the world now. Sure. Uh, that if you just want to get involved and help out. And, I mean, we have a blast. You know, we raise a lot of money for charity. We do a lot of really cool work in the community. Yeah, we didn't uh, talk about that so much today. And I'm sure that in the future, yeah. we'll probably operate follow-up with you or other folks sure. in the franchise. But, like, if you haven't seen the important work that LA Ghostbusters is doing to support Starlight Foundation, mm-hmm. um, which is an organization that provides entertainment for kids in hospitals um, who are undergoing long-term care uh totally worth checking out totally awesome totally worth supporting yeah um, but yeah it's it's an amazing way to to use your fandom to do good which is what sony also really appreciates which is why ghost core exists you know right. you, you don't have a lot of fandoms i mean if any that have an office that actually is there to kind of assist with the the fandom mm-hmm. usually even like the 501st and stuff with star wars there's not a company at disney that manages sure. that um so it's really beneficial what what Sony's doing with Ghost Core uh to try to help out, you know, with that fandom and steer it in the right direction. And now that there's gonna be so much Ghostbuster stuff happening, like there's gonna be a lot of opportunities and a lot of, I mean, you look at what the Haslab pack sold, what, twenty two thousand 
Oh yeah. I mean, Proton I, I don't remember what the total number is, but I mean, it's, it's huge. Yeah. It was like right? over 20,000 people. So it's like, all right, so over 20,000 people are going to have a full size proton mm-hmm. pack next year. Like that's and nuts. I just And that's on top of add on just the fact that like spirit Halloween put yeah. their proton packs on sale for 2022 for Halloween. And before they were even searchable in the catalog database, <laughs> they were sold out. Right. Yeah. Cause it's like they, the word spread amongst the fandom, amongst people who are like, Hey, do you know somebody who needs a proton pack or do your kids need one because this thing is lightweight and smaller yep. and boom, these things sell like crazy. To be fair, there's like probably 200 of them on eBay too, but sure. <laughs> because people do things, but you know, I mean, I think that you're, you're right in the sense that it's like, this is, I don't think that we're slowing down in any sense. No, right? It's like all of a sudden all. to me, what I think is funny is that a lot of people seem to be falling into place mm-hmm. who wanted things to exist for many years that did not exist. Sure. And that was sort of, to me, the first time that happened was when the Mattel props came out. Oh, it was like, Oh my God, someone thought about making a ghost trap that actually opens with a pedal. Like, (laughs) and it's not, this is amazing. Like what, who is this wizard? And how how do we become friends? Like, because this is, then to me, it's kind of funny to watch how, as I get a little bit older and I'm in my Mm -hmm. forties now, I watched the folks who I knew in my twenties were like, you know, it'd be really cool if they had a blink. <laughs> yeah. And now you start to see those kinds of things start to come out. So I hope that we continue to see that with Ghostbusters. Yep. And this is may sound weird, but I think in some ways, like Jason Reitman was sort of, he's even talked about it, but he was sort of avoiding the Ghostbusters like branded elephant in his Sure. Room. It was just like, that's yeah, a I'm, very high bar. Yeah. Right, like you got to meet not only like a fan bar, but you got to meet a familial bar. You got to yeah. meet essentially rise to the level of your own father, et cetera, to impress people and yeah. it kind of creates a reputation and expectation for you. But I think that there's like this weird thing where it's like, we're all in our 40s. And it's like Jason Reitman is like, all right, I'll come to the table too. <laughs> right. Like I, I remember when I wanted there to be cooler stuff when I ran around my house. And right. so it's like, I think that's what separates it a little bit. You know, oh yeah, and I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I'm sure there's Star Wars producers who love Star Wars. But well, and I mean, so many of us that were kids, you know, that grew up on Ghostbusters, are now adults and are in places of power and at com- companies, and so we have the ability to now bring that fandom up. Yeah, you know, from down there, and I think that's now that everyone, like all the Ghostbuster fans from back then, are now yeah, 40s and 50s, and so it's like how like I love Ghostbusters. How can I make this yeah. better for everyone? So if you're out um, there and you're one of those people, like. <laughs> Yeah. You know, now you have a little bit of advice. Like, don't go knock on Jason Reitman's door. No. Um, Try to. Yeah. I mean, you want to get involved. It's it's a machine. You know, Hollywood is a machine. And once you figure out kind of how it works. I mean, we had friends. A lot of people that worked on Afterlife are fans. I mean, we had a a friend of ours that, you know, does props. And he ended up getting on it because he loves Ghostbusters. And then he worked for a prop house. And so he got in touch with the prop house that was doing Ghostbusters. And so it's like you kind of break down like where. And we have friends that are in Canada. And their local group in Calgary got to be the ones there for sure. afterlife just because they happen to be nearby. Right. And um, and it was awesome, like those opportunities. And it's it's a very inclusive franchise. And so it's like kind of I think that like that's a good place to sort of because I, I think like your story is one that I, I like in this sense because it's like you're mm-hmm. a person who you're a self-starter, you create your own company, yep, right? You work on things you love making, you make horror content. Mm-hmm. You go out and you do the work you need to do that say, I got to make it. I have to, even if it's do something industrial or I have to do something that for a group, like for right. something commercial, because I need to do what I'm going to do, but I'm going to figure out how to 
connect to the things that I love and produce within them and use the sort of stepping stones I have to get where I want to go. And I think that like for folks out there who often say like, how can I, you know, I be doing something. There's so many people who make art. How do I go out and engage? How do I get picked up? How do I find myself a comic book cover? It's about making these individual connections. Right. And it's about sort of talking to these individual sort of production companies and whatnot and trying to engage them rather than sort of like waiting to be like, well, when's going to be my time? Yeah. <laughs> like, when will I be it's, discovered by Ghost Core? Why don't people see me on social media? Right. Because there's so right. much out there. It's, and it's, and it is a challenge. I mean, like everything about entertainment is challenging. It's a very hard business. But once you kind of figure out who you have to talk to and like get around it, and I'm very lucky, like I have a manager that ended up getting me into meetings and, and studios and whatnot. And so that, that helped out getting a manager. And by getting a manager, just because I had enough projects that I had organized and packaged that he was like, oh, I think I can sell these. And that's what got me signed. Uh, and he's gotten me so much, so many opportunities, which is great. And and even in the Ghostbuster world, there's still going to be more opportunities. I mean, they're going to have to hire a crew to sure. make Firehouse. Right. You know, they're going to have to hire people to make all these other things. So you figure out kind of what you want to do. Now, granted, there'll be some people that are like, well, I want to direct Ghostbusters 5. And it's like, well, that's, <laughs> that's probably, probably not going to happen. Thing. Right. Because big directors in Hollywood all want to do that too, sure. you know. It's, but uh, I like the other person I think about in the sense is um, who's talked about some of this on, on another podcast is Ben Eady, who mm-hmm. was working on props. Was he when he came into cinema and came into prop building, he was not was not what his background really was. He was a person mm-hmm. somebody was like, oh, you can build that, like, and it was making these individual connections such that he finds himself driving an RTV <laughs> and getting it run over by an Ecto one, like on a yeah. on a film set. So. Um, and maybe that's a good place for sort of us to wrap this up. For but, sure. You know, if you're out there and you're looking to create content, look to make those kinds of connections and keep an eye out there for Stephen Shea's work mm-hmm. um, because what he's beginning to do, uh, what has done so far with Ghostbusters, is hopefully just the scratch the surface. Oh, um, fingers crossed. Fingers <laughs> crossed. And um, thank you for joining us. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you. Awesome. Try to have fun and always keep on busting. Take care. <laughs>